Today we are talking to Miguel Gamino, the CTO of New York City, and we discuss taking a people-centric approach to technology, how New York's smart city aims to set an example for the rest of the world, and the importance of having a free and open internet to promote growth and innovation. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. We were actually listening to uh, Jay-Z's Empire State of Mind as like our pre-show warm-up. Uh, you should definitely use that as the intro track. Oh, for sure. Do you use Alexa? Uh, no, I don't. We were using Alexa to play that. What Do you use any of the voice assistants? I'm starting to play with Google Assistant. Nice, nice. Are you liking it? What do you th- What do you think about it? Well, I use it. I use it with a G Suite account, not with a regular Gmail account. So it was a little tricky to get it started. But what I, what I will say is, Google support is on point. Oh, so it is. I'm like dialed in now, so now I'm just starting to really, you know, flex the muscle. Nice. Yeah, we're all we're all new to it. I got my first one for Christmas this year, so like you know, three months ago, and I kind of fell in love with it. I, and I don't use Alexa, but what I do use is a Amazon has this like a Amazon Fresh wand that you can oh, yeah? like scan barcodes on things as you want to add them to your shopping cart, but you can also talk to it. So it's not like controlling the house, but it controls, it adds things to my Amazon Fresh shopping cart. And it's called an Amazon wand? That's what it is. I don't know what they call it, but it's this little like, it's a little wand with a button on it and a like a laser scanner and it's oh my goodness it sticks it's magnetic so it sticks to your fridge it's cool when you're like about to finish the carton of milk you just scan the barcode and it adds it to your shopping cart it's like way more effective version of the button kind of yeah because the button is like specific to a product and this you can scan whatever or talk to it like you can't there's no barcode on an apple so like you look in your fridge and you want apples you just push the button and say add or you say apples and it adds it to your shopping cart isn't the future beautiful, Miguel? Yeah, absolutely. Like 130 years ago, we were just getting electricity, and now we can just wave an Amazon wand and get apples. <laughs> years ago, we had to go pick our own apples. That is true, yes. That was, and a, shipping. That was a bummer. That was a bummer. <laughs> now we have drones. We have yeah. drone picking apples. Yeah. So, so I'm really curious, how did you fall in love with technology? Like, What got you started? What was your first experience with technology? Well, you added, I mean, you asked a contradictory question. You assumed that I fell in love with it when I first engaged with it. Ooh, nice catch. My first engagement with tech was in high school, and it was the most god-awful experience of my life. Um, My class, we spent like the entire semester programming a way just to make the cursor like bounce across the screen. It was, it was the most, it was terrible. And I remember coming home and telling my parents that I wasn't yet sure what I was going to do when I grew up, but I knew for sure it would have nothing to do with computers. <laughs> that is the most original. I love this one. I love the perspective. <laughs> so, so how did it change? What happened next? So I went to college and um, the tr- so the truth is what changed was the essence of what the computer was doing changed, right? And so... You had, I went to college and around that time you had 
Bill Gates, Michael Dell, Steve Jobs had emerged as these like, you know, pop culture icons almost like it was at that time it was still counterculture, but it was like all of a sudden there was, you had a, you had the ability to visualize what that opportunity might look like. And so they, that really drove inspiration into like, wow, maybe, you know, not only can you um, do well just in terms of, you know, business and wealth and, and whatnot, but you could really start to see then, or at least I could start to see then how that technology could do something way more meaningful than bounce a cursor across the screen. <laughs> right? So it was like, oh, wow, this is transforming the way business is done, a.k.a. the spreadsheet, you know, and the, and the personal computer. And it was changing the way design and art was done in the early um, Apple days, right? And it changed the way we thought about it was like, you know, Dell in a lot of ways was the the computer version of Henry Ford and the way that they changed the manufacturing and distribution process. And so I started to see, recognize a deeper opportunity there. And so I was at, at college. I, I went to University of Texas, El Paso, go Miners. And uh, <laughs> I was debating what my major should be. And uh it's a whole different story, but but I got um, prodded into accounting by an accounting professor who I'm forever grateful to. But and I also had this um, again the suspicion that computers were were going to be something special, and I should think about that. And so I went to advising office and I said, "Hey, I, I want to do a double major. I want to do accounting and uh, computer information systems." And they said absolutely. They said I was crazy because accounting was the most difficult, and CIS was the longest number of hours. I was literally combining the worst of both worlds and putting them together. And so they tried to discourage me, which anyone who knows me knows that all you got to do is tell me it can't be done. And so um, that was it. I decided I was going to do it. And so I was. I don't know that I was the first. I think. I think in my graduating class, there ended up being like two or three of us that graduated with that double major that were the first in that, in, in at that university to do that. And, and that was the beginning. That was, um, during that time, I also started my own inspired by Michael Dell. Frankly, I started my own computer company kind of pay for college type business. And so, uh, I never count that as one of my startups cause it never was going to be a growth company, but I do, I learned both a lot about technology and a lot about entrepreneurship and serving the customer. And towards the later years of my college um, time, that's how I, that, that was my job. I had a business, we built, um, computers and laptops. We installed network cable infrastructure and network electronics for some businesses locally. And yeah, and that's and then the rest is history. So that's how you fell in love with technology. You've got jobs coming out, Michael Dell doing his thing, and you saw that you could visualize what that opportunity looked like. And then th they were kind of like leaders for, hey, this is an option. Now, when I know you've got an awesome plan for the smart city that you're dealing with and the IoT strategy for New York City. Are you doing that or looking at that as a way to set an example for the rest of the world, the rest of the cities in the United States? And like now you're being Jobs and Dell saying, this is what the opportunity looks like. Copy us. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, there's a couple things. We I've been blessed to uh, 
experienced this public sector chapter in a very special way. I, I got talked into to doing this in El Paso and I was the CIO there. And then I got recruited to San Francisco and ended up being the CIO there. And then I got recruited to be the CTO here in New York. And looking back at that trajectory, I learned a lot from each of those cities, including how important technology is to transforming all cities, because each of those cities is very different from the other. But it was, but the technology opportunity was just as strong in any in each of them, right? And so I think while I wouldn't compare myself to Jobs or, or Dell or any of them, I do think that the opportunity um, that we've created by really being willing to be in the thought leadership category along the way in, in so much as that it's always been about doing good for the city I was in, but also sharing that with everyone else that I, that would listen or that was interested. Um, so all the way back to El Paso, it was, it was one of our big accomplishments in El Paso was a shared services model. So the, that principle of sharing has dates back all the way to, to that time. And so now in New York, where the stage is much bigger and the lights are much brighter, it has certainly come kind of to the precipice of that opportunity. And so everything we're doing here, we recognize is not only a beneficial opportunity for the city of New York, but has been very clear to us that it's an opportunity to to share that um, with cities so that they can enjoy the same progress and benefits. Of course, there's nuances and things that change from city to city, but I think we are we have been in a position to offer quite a bit of thought leadership and resources to our partner cities, not just in the United States, but, but all over the world. The Council of Global City CIOs is an organization that I helped found, and it is, it is built on the premise that no matter where these cities are, no matter what language is spoken or what continent they're on, many of the core issues are similar and many of the core opportunities via technology are very similar. And so we've found that there is this huge opportunity to share. And I've often said publicly that I've kind of coined this phrase that the superpower of the public sector is this ability to share and collaborate that the private sector might never enjoy quite the same way that we, we do. Yet we've been underutilizing that forever. And so part of my side mission, I guess you could call it, has always been to better organize cities together to really serve as a catalyst for this collaborative conversation so that we each help each other progress further, faster, um, so that we have maybe a chance of catching up with the pace of change in with regard to technology. Yeah, and you say you're not like... Dell or Jobs, dude, you're a textbook visionary, right? You say they like, oh, if it can't be done, you're going to do it. That like is what lights the fire in you. You're connecting people and identifying opportunity and you're clearly a leader. And the most important thing is that you care, like you genuinely care about the people enough to, you know, do all of your normal duties and then also feel a responsibility to do your side hustle of put together this, you know, global city of CIOs just to, you know, help the rest of the world. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, I love it. Yeah. Why? Because it's Tuesday. <laughs> when you put it that way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a, uh, I don't know, it, uh, to be honest, it, it feels almost a little bit embarrassing, but 
but yeah, it's, it, it, it is about that. It is about, you know, the other thing I think that is really important here beyond the sharing principle is that we're also, I think, really driving home this notion that it's got to be people first and the tech industry yes. at large is, is also beginning to really recognize that in a, in a more authentic, holistic way than I think it has in the past. And so I'm also proud that, that not just me, but my teams in, in each of these cities and even back to my startup days, I think we really consistently had that as part of our core mission back before it was popular. And now that it's really surfacing as um, like a recognized best practice, if you will, I think we are now in a great position to help lead that, that conversation forward. And, and the way I describe it is it's not just, you know, the continuum, if you will, of this people-centered approach, you know, it starts with user-centered design and lots of people have been talking about that for a while. And, and you've had really great products and really great services and progress made by this. But while it does take into account the, the user or the customer, it only takes into account the user or the customer most often. And so then you've seen this, this gravitation towards a wider stakeholder um, input, right? And so then you get, you know, broader community engagement or uh, holistic people-centered design, which is just to say that, you know, the customers of a particular product aren't the only people that are affected by it or interested in it in some stakeholder type of way. And so you're seeing some technologists in, in and out of public sector begin to really recognize that and take into account this broader community lens. And I think we helped lead that in a lot of way by, by really pushing on this community-focused engagement um, with some of the work we've done with NYCX and other things. And now what I've started to do to kind of continue to push this effort down the continuum is introduce this notion of, of culture, which is just to even further recognize the nuances and the differences within a community of stakeholders that if you're paying even closer attention to the, the essence and the culture of that community, you're going to get even better at uh, hearing what they're trying to tell you and, and, and delivering something that is truly meaningful and impactful to that community, which might be a set of diverse cultures within that community. So it's like, it's in some ways we've been for many years trying to push down this, um, like I said, continuum of depth in terms of what we believe it means to really put people in the driver's seat uh, when technology is being thought of uh, to help solve their real problems. The diversity, right? So as you dive in, you find subcultures and microcultures, right? As the different layers of the communities. And man, I love I love what you're saying about putting people first. I, If you ever want some really good ammo, right, for diversity conversations, check out, like watch a documentary on the rainforest. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but the reason why the rainforest survives is because of its uh, diversity. Its diversity is what keeps it alive. So it's, it's really interesting if you watch, if you watch some information on rainforest and I, I was actually watching that and seeing the diversity and, you know, inclusion of everybody in the technology world has been a hot topic and it was in my personal life too. So I just had my first baby girl. She's six months old. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, do you have any children? I have a one and a half and a two and a half year old. So I feel you. Oh, bro. 
What what uh, boys or girls? Two girls. Oh, I've got a I've got something for you, my friend. I'm gonna send you something. <laughs> I've so got, I've got well, a long list of lessons for you too, my friend. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't, oh man, no, no. So my uh, we decided to do a charity, my family, and so we wrote these. I wrote these children's books, and because I was having a daughter, and I thought it'd be really cool to read my child a, a book that we wrote, right? And so one's called the Princess Physicist, and it's this princess that gets stuck in a tower, but instead of a guy coming to save her, she finds a book on physics under the bed and saves herself. Nice. Yeah. So we've got like the best illustrator. We contact the company that does all the Disney children's board books. We ordered them and then we give, uh, give them away. So we gave 10,000 away to homeless pregnant women shelters, foster families, um, and just in need children and their families. Because just like what you were saying earlier, when you see something's a possibility and you see what an opportunity looks like, you have the ability to act on it. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So I'm going to, I'm going to look, can I buy it somewhere? Oh, I'm going to send you a couple copies, but yeah, we just, we wanted, I'm not an expert at running a charity. I really know pretty much nothing about it. But last year, my, my mom like wasn't feeling well, went to the hospital, found out she had leukemia and passed away in six weeks. So my brother and sister and I, my brother's a doctor and my sister teaches science, uh, middle school science. And then I'm obviously a technologist. So she left us like less than $50,000 and we said, well, we could either all just put it in our bank account or we could do something cool with it. And then we're all having kids at the same time. So we said, well, let's write these books, you know, in honor of, of just a way to remember so that way we can read the books to our kids and then bring up the conversation of their grandma and stuff like that. So we're not really sure what to do with it, but I have, I still have uh, a pallet of books in my garage. And so I send them away here and there, but yeah, that's, I'm going to send you a couple. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He thought it was kind of cool, kind of something different to do, you know? Why not? It's Tuesday <laughs> or it's Monday, sorry. Right. So yeah, we're all about the diversity and everything. Um, I really love, I just want to say, I love what you're doing with the work and you speaking up on net neutrality. Obviously, I was just blown away about what happened. Like, how is that even possible? But uh, so thank you for that. Yeah, no, that was, you know, that's the the core to all of this. We, we keep talking about technology and and it's opportunity to create opportunity uh, to create opportunities for people and include like we, we we're talking about all these things that we really do care about, but none of that's going to, I mean, it's all, it's all counter if we don't ensure everyone has equitable access to the platform in the first place. Um, right. If, if access is discriminated in any form, then the, the kind of the opportunities that are created in the digital world by definition will only be available to some people. So when you break it down like that, it's there's nothing more important than access to broadband and that that broadband be both open and non-discriminatory, uh, AKA not, you know, completely controlled by a few um, organizations. And two, that people's privacy is also uh, properly acknowledged and protected and communicated uh, otherwise, we're gonna we're gonna create a situation where people are forced into that environment in order to to participate in modern society, but are going to have to sacrifice some things that they shouldn't have to in order to do it. Correct. Yeah. This is this is the this is the issue to like stand up on. Like, I don't. I rarely. First of all, I'm not in politics at all. I 
I'm I don't know why I just it I like to do other things but when I went with this whole net neutrality thing it just got me like really pumped up to to want to do something because man it's it's such a slippery slope you start by throttling a little bit and then you end up with just completely shutting off access and then you end up with like a class tiered internet and it's just you know I got my start my father was a programmer and I got my start by having open and free access to the internet my parents had to pay more if there was some restrictions or if there was any sort of throttling like it would have discouraged me it wouldn't have allowed for the experience that I had you know yeah yeah the same with me I I I built my startups my first startup we we took a, a voice over IP system and put it in a data center and served it up as a multi-tenant service, which today you would call the cloud. Right. <laughs> yeah. We did that, but we did that before. The reason I say it that way is because we did that before the term was coined. So we did this in early, early 2000s. And, you know, I was a small business getting started. We were, you know, bootstrap funded. You know, if, if there was like, if it, in truth, the, the transport costs were my biggest barrier already. And if I had, would have had to pay a premium to compete with someone else who was maybe better funded in the marketplace, I just never would have had that opportunity. Right. It's going to, it would stifle innovation for sure. Absolutely. So, so it really does hit home for me too. Cause I can think back to my startup days and say, wow, if, if I had to pay for a fast lane, you know, we were so, we were so lean at that time as it was, that might've tipped the economic, the business model upside down. For sure. And so it, it really does be beyond kind of in my current role, obviously I'm, I'm thinking of it more broadly and thinking of it as a societal impact and, you know, thinking about it as an impact on democracy and, and uh, everything. But I, I can very quickly boil it all the way back to, you know, 2003 or whatever it was. And as a startup guy, you know, scraping it together to do something we thought was innovative and really important, it, that, it would have been really, it would have been much harder and potentially impossible for me to have launched that business. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for standing up for the net neutrality and setting such a fantastic example as the city of New York, which is a strong, powerful city for all the innovation you're doing and how you're connecting people. And I'm just, I'm a high, highly efficient, like highly productive person. And I can see that you are too. And I just, I genuinely enjoy when I run into, run into people like this. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, the, the mission isn't over. We're going to continue to, it's just getting started, Miguel. That's right. That's right. We're, uh, we're going to be taking kind of this mission to, uh, to your point about, about cities around the world. I'll be, I'll be much more focused on that very soon. Well, Miguel, we have a, just so you know, anything I can do to help you at all, let me know. We have, uh, our listener base is 70,000 active CTOs, lead developers, technology type people. And we are worldwide. We're primarily in the United States, the UK, Sweden, and Brazil. So if you need anything at all from us to blast any messages or anything at all, just you to let me know. Nice. Yeah. I, I don't know if you caught the news, but recently I announced I'm leaving this job. Okay. So that should happen. I mean, that, so that's been like officially stated that I'm leaving, uh -huh. but I have not yet uh, been able, I'm kind of in a 
spot where I can't quite share exactly what I'm doing next. Okay. Um, but stay tuned. It's going to okay. be very much on point with everything we're just talking about. Yeah. We had Rand Fishkin on the show. He's like SEO Moz, but, uh, big marketing guy. And, and he said the same thing. And then like two weeks later he put out this fresh release and I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe he's doing that. Timeline so. might be about to say. <laughs> okay. So I'll be in New York at the artificial intelligence conference, April 29th. Are you going to be hanging around there or no? Yeah, I think so. Uh, cool. Well, if, uh, I'll probably message Kathleen or whatever the best way is just so I can get a high five and a quick picture or something. We can put a, um, put it on our site and put it with the episode, all that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.